This is part two of my conversation with Cody and Matt. If you haven't had a chance, go and check out No Cracks Part 1. In this episode, we continue to talk about all things worship, speaking into people's lives, and our thoughts about both the platform and the stage. Welcome back to the How Did I Get Here podcast. Now, I got a question for both of you, um, and we're kind of circling around a little bit of this topic, but really to, to direct it. I want both of you to give your feelings on, uh, and I will actually, um, I'll sit out because I have some feelings on it, um, and we'll see if you touch on them, but what is, what are your feelings on what I'll call the sanctity of the stage? Um, what did it used to be? Oh, man. Where is it now? And what do you feel about it? Because when I'm in, just to, just to explain, like, I'm talking the sanctity of the, the Sunday morning, the Wednesday night, whatever, that for Cedric, we'll call it the pulpit. Mm-hmm. But where he stands, you know, whatever, he's got his little, if you ever heard Cedric speak, he's got his little, like, fern and his weird cup and a little clock. And for Cody, you know, in front of wait, the, is that serious? Yeah, yeah, he's got like a little. <laughs> I don't think I've ever he's seen got a little Mister Rogers neighborhood. Yeah, uh, whenever, scene. whenever I, especially in a teaching setting, I always have like a little. I have a table. It's not really a pulpit, but a table and a little plant. Nice. And a clock. The clock is, is it just real so, or is it plastic? No, it's a fake plant. Okay. If you walk by the plant, it sings like a, a song. Like yeah, between one. Like I, mean, I can explain the in psychology behind that if you want to know. But it's a flower that like shakes when you talk. Yeah. All right. Cool. No, so in in a serious sense too, like like for me, I can say somebody that's never uh, crossed or, or been on stage other than to maybe say a prayer, tell a joke, tell everybody that the you know the apple pie is down the hall, like that's when I get on stage. For you all, <laughs> uh, what is what the sanctity of the stage has that grown? What was that like? You'll be in PKs. Like I remember after service, like. To me, from like two to like a ten, as soon as they said amen, my job was to like I was army crawling up and down the steps. I was jumping in and out. I go, the stage was kind of like a playground, as my parents were talking to people when we leave. But then as an adult now, I feel like it's almost. I have a very I have a personal great reverence for it. But how did you guys come across that in your ministries? Uh, so. I just want to make sure I understand you're talking about before the role and now currently. Let's say, let's talk, why don't we go from the beginning? Like, have you ever, I mean, maybe your view hasn't changed of it. Maybe it's always been that same way, but maybe where you were in the beginning of your ministry, not as a kid, but like mm-hmm. when you started teaching and then where is it now? Has it changed and how's it all, how's it? Well, just real quick to your all. point about being a kid, being a pastor's kid. And then obviously for us now is we're all all fathers we're all dads so it's funny I was I wasn't allowed to be on the stage you talked about army crawling on the stage after the service Mm. running around I wasn't allowed to I don't know if you were um, but I you know remember but I I wasn't being all over the place I wasn't I wasn't allowed to and I think it had something to do with that you know I don't really know all the specifics behind that and to that point it's so funny there are times when even today I find myself wrestling with it sometimes I'm like you know what it's okay that's great the kids want to be up there. My son sees me do what I do, and he mm. wants to stand up there. And then other days, I'm like, uh, I don't know if they should be throwing a football on the stage. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean. Um, but in reference to like the sanctity of the stage, I think this is this is, this is a, first of all a great question. I think early on in ministry, there was the glamour of the stage, mm-hmm. um, and the glamour of the stage meaning. That's the spot. That's the place where you do what you do. It's like, the batter's box, man. Yeah, that's where you get your paycheck from. Yeah, that's that's the spot. And I think as a young pastor, you 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 know, you're sitting in your office and you you writing a sermon or a little lesson, you grinding it out. And I think in your mind, not think, I know, in your mind you're thinking, Man, I just I gotta get on that spot. I gotta get that I gotta get that uh, that front and center and you're you're doing the work of sp- like preparing to speak or preach, if you will, so that you could have the spot of the stage. Hmm. And I don't think that I became a pastor. I'm using quotes. I don't think I became a pastor until that thought left my mind. Hmm. Because, and it didn't take very long, 
Um, I think one of the things that helped was I've always been on a staff where there's someone who was lovingly critical and, you know, older sage men that can say, hey, I think you were excited to preach. You, that had nothing to do with God or, or ministering to people. And I mean, thankfully, I've only had that said to me once, maybe twice. So I got it. And so the sanctity of the stage, using that term that you, mm-hmm. you pose the question, I don't even think, I don't view my job as connected to the stage at all, actually. Um, I view it as the stage is one of the, no pun intended, one of the platforms where I do what it is that God has called me to do, but I don't view myself in the context of, oh, well, I, I only do that on the stage. In fact, I'm going to be completely transparent here. Sometimes I get a little bothered when people say to me, oh, I heard you're preaching this week. And the reason why I get bothered is because, well, I mean, I preach every week. And I preach sometimes three, sometimes four times a week. I preached for two hours on a Saturday morning to 15 people at my home about preparing themselves to be married. And nobody knows about that other than people on staff because that's something that we that we put in place. But because I'm not on the stage, someone mm-hmm. wouldn't view that as preaching. Yeah. And I mean, and I, not only was I preaching because I was giving the word of God, but I mean, like, I'm talking like my forehead sweating and I got armpit sweat because I was going hard for two and a half hours, two hours. So even if you think about it from that perspective, so I don't view the sanctity of the stage as something separate from what my role as overseer is what my role as elder and pastor and shepherd is it's one of the places that i get to do that um it's one of the places that you get to do that to where you have the largest effect numbers wise right i I could walk in i mean i preached you know i'm using quotes i preached or ministered or pastored in a coffee shop last week but that was to one person. Mm-hmm. So the effectiveness, I'm hoping through the Holy Spirit, the effectiveness was the same as it would be if there was if I was on the stage and there was 300 people. So the being on stage part of the pastoring for me is the, the largest net that I have the opportunity to cast because mm-hmm. it's the largest volume of people. But pastoring, preaching, teaching, Bible study, walking people through scripture, leading them to God, discipleship, mobilizing the gospel. It happens in, it happens in in a variety of places. Mm. And I'm not gonna lie, like there's there, there is a level of excitement and there's a level of rush that you get when you have an opportunity to share the gospel to the masses that happens on a stage. But I think the rush for me in maturing, the rush went from Look at look at this. I get to talk to a lot of people. Mm. To okay, don't mess this up because <laughs> you there's a lot of people and you have this thirty five minute window to make sure it's you get it right yeah. because there's a lot of people that's gonna hear this. But that same pressure of quote not messing it up is the exact same when I get a text message from a student that says, "Hey, can we sit and have coffee?" And uh, yeah. I'm like, uh, I I can't yeah. mess this up because this has got to be right. Yeah, I would say that, I mean, this is gonna, this is going to be sound real quotable, or like I took this from a, I don't even know, some leadership book, but I think the term stage, you take a stage, and but you're given a platform, I think that even those turn, the, just viewing it that way, that, like you said, it could be a lot of people, but also that text message from one person is because they've given you a platform to speak in their life. Right. So viewing it that way as... Um, so you talk about the sanctity of the stage or the sanctity of the platform or whatever you want to call it. It's the people that have allowed you to do that. So it, it it really doesn't even, I mean, it doesn't have to do specifically even with being a pastor. I know there's people in your life, Matt, you're not, you're not a pastor, but they've given you the platform in their life to speak truth into their life. So I think it's, I think it's funny you said that because well, not funny, but the other thing is there are some weeks when I am actually dreading being on the stage because I don't have the sharpness and the energy to deliver the word of God to that many people. But I have the sharpness and the energy to deliver it to like two Mm -hmm. of my friends Mm -hmm. at my house that's sitting at my dining room table. And it says, hey, we have new babies and we're confused and we don't know what to do. 
and I don't want to go home. I mean, you know what I mean? Like I have the, I in those moments, there are some moments where I'm like, oh man, I, and you know, whatever it is, whether it's, whether it's personal, physical fatigue or mental fatigue or even spiritual fatigue or even sometimes sin, I mean, if you're going to be honest, um, where I don't have the, the energy or the capacity and I'm like, you know, it's, it's Thursday and I'm starting to dread, if you will, the fact that, man, I got to preach on Sunday on the stage and I, you know, I don't feel like I have the fuel. I don't feel like I have the juice to, to do that in that, in that arena, if you will, for that group of people. And sometimes I feel like the coin on the other side is, but I have enough energy for this or that on another arena. But I can always say that through the grace of God, that doesn't last very long. There are days when I walk out of my office on a Sunday morning, walking onto the stage, and I still don't have any centric energy. And as soon as my, as soon as I get there through prayer, praying the whole time, the Holy Spirit yeah. gives me what I need for those moments. And it's also true of other environments when it's like oh, I really don't have the energy to meet one-on-one with this person. And I guess that's a long way of me saying over time through maturity, I view myself as a pastor, as a shepherd, as a disciple maker, and as a, and a mobilizer of the gospel. I don't even view myself as a preacher. So let me go a little bit further. This may be a little bit more teetering into Cody, but definitely Cedric. I think you'll have some points too. Um, <clears throat> talk about then... So we understand the sanctity of the stage, but let's now talk about the stewardship of the stage. And I think that's a really big topic with worship. Who do you let on stage? Mm-hmm. When are they allowed to be on stage? I know that I've, I've witnessed in, over the years um, in different ways that I've volunteered and I've personally made mistakes when I've been um, you know, a volunteer head or whatever of a certain ministry and, you know, the need, my our perceived maybe need for talent mm-hmm. was the overarching like yeah 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 he said he saved but man he can shred <laughs> yeah. or like yeah 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 like, <laughs> like she I know she's she's she said she's yeah. you know going through some stuff but like did you see her saying it's like Carrie Job up there and you're kind of like how do you as a leader be like all right this is this 20 minutes or 25 minutes is what I'm, I'm a leader of in this service. Not only do we need to make it as <clears throat> fulfilling to the mission of the church as possible, but also how do I safeguard that from people who want to be on stage but need maybe more nurturing, maybe more discipleship and more growth before they can be on stage? The, like, how do you play through that dichotomy of like, the stewardship of the stage. And before you answer, I, I, I think from a speaking pastoral perspective, yeah. one of my favorite is, man, that dude, doesn't, he only knows like two verses, but he's really funny and he's really good at keeping people's attention mm. and he's really magnetizing. He's a he's a polarizing person. We should just have him be one of our speakers. Yeah. Like that's, obviously it's different from a from a being skilled, from a musician, but I guess, still I guess maybe not, not no, a ton of different. Smart, I think. Um, well, this is a, this is a this is a question that you could I could talk about for a long time overarching themes and everything because um, it's almost a philosophy so it starts off with what's a church what's your philosophy of ministry or what's your philosophy of worship because over time because of I would say because of modern worship but also uh, when you look back and you see what was the purpose of choirs choirs were performance they were meant like oh they sing we get to participate, but they, they're the professionals. They were paid. The musicians were paid. Like, we forget that it, it almost has gone full circle to where we are now, where choirs, the whole purpose of choirs, I think, is to help the congregation worship, to help them sing. But a lot of times that has taken a branch where it's just, oh, it's a choir doing a performance piece. And yet I can be like, oh, yeah, that was great, or the song was good. But it... It depends on what your philosophy of worship is. So where we are now, I think there's there's two main things. of what, And I think one would say we don't do that, and the other would say, yeah, we definitely do this. So obviously worship, in my opinion, is specific, specifically for worship. I know that sounds like a dumb thing to say, but it's for God. It's for the purpose of the congregation to join in worship. Some philosophies are saying yeah they would they would obviously say that but they also would say it's for outreach 
It's to help grab people in. And I don't think that's true. I don't think that's the point of why we do worship. It's supposed to be for God. So with those two things in common, there's there's going to be different philosophies of who you have on stage. If you're doing it for outreach, then yeah, I could see somebody that maybe doesn't have as strong of a walk to be on stage because they're doing it for like to get people in. That is not my preferred. I, I would say somebody that <laughs> uh, has a strong relationship with Christ and then is also talented. That's the that's the baseline. They need to have a relationship with Christ, be willing to be discipled. Um, I mean, I had a guidelines. I want I, I specifically. I, I think I <laughs> the guidelines were like make your. I want your Saturday nights to match up with your Sunday mornings. I mean, I was in a college mm. town. I think I said no cracks on top or on the bottom because that was addressing the way that people dress. Because it's real hard to address that afterwards. <laughs> Literally, I have it in writing. Somewhere. I just I just caught that. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, that in that regard. But, I mean, the thing with, I mean, for me, I, I, I tend to, which is surprising to most people, because I'm a modern worship pastor, that I skew more towards uh, more traditional or more conservative in how I view Scripture. I, I take it literal. So, when I look at the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, I see how he views worship. I mean... Uh, I think it's the Le- Leviticus 10. Um, I think it's, I, I'm, I'm going to botch their names. Nadab and Abihu or something like that. Their two, their two sons right. are Aaron. So they're, Sounds right. Yeah, there you go. We'll just go with that. They're two sons of Aaron. And so these guys, these guys are like the higher ups. They're, they're on, you know, they're like on the church staff. We'll say that. They're, they're in. They're in charge of the worshipers. They're in charge of sacrificing, et cetera, et cetera. They get they, to go on the worship retreats. And they stuff. get to go on the worship. They they, they literally there. did. But so what's funny? They were part of the team that was allowed to go on to Mount Sinai when it happened. Like they were in the inner circle, and they did worship the wrong way, and they were incinerated by God. So they were in the. And it doesn't say that they were bad people. That they were honored by the whole people. So I think we have to approach God with caution. We should be good at what we do we should do it talentful but we should talentful i don't know what that is full of talent there you go uh but we i think we've stepped back from that and be like what like like you said matt like but he's really good at guitar and we kind of overlooked that and we make things more about like oh but we need it to be this way when we really need to focus in on who we allow on stage and i, I it's not just the worship leader that's leading worship it's everybody on stage the spirit is moving and so i just think why would you ever want to hinder that by having someone on stage who doesn't even know Jesus? And I understand there could be, there's circumstances where it's like, oh, we invited a drummer and he played with us and then he got saved because he saw, I get it. There's exceptions to the rule, but the rule is, it should be, in my opinion, that they should be believers. Why, why are they playing music? And I know we talked about, we touched on this we're just by us hanging out and talking. And I think um, the making sure that uh, there's just some sort of standard. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Some, I don't know. I lost no. my train of thought. I think it's a little bit easier from the speaking perspective um, because I'm not saying the speakers aren't talented, but you. It's I think it's easier to find people who are talented and gifted musically that you could quote, throw on the stage to be a part of a Mm -hmm. worship set as opposed to someone who could prepare and deliver a message. However, there are times when we as pastors, we get excited because something amazing just happened in this person's life and people have to know. You have to tell them what just happened. (laughs) And there are some times where pastors, we want to throw them on the stage and say, hey, you know what? you know, de- deliver this message or give your testimony or give your story or whatever. And again, I'm not saying that that's not important. I think that's very important. But like you said, there there needs to be, you know, I like that, I like that you use the word stewardship. And there's a, there's a stewardship, there's a responsibility mm-hmm. to, to, to what we do. There's a responsibility that we have as pastors to lead people 
to Christ. And when we say, I think we've, we've, the church, we've turned that term into a got, I get saved term. Hey, we want to make sure we lead people to Christ. We, we use that yeah. in the way of like, oh, this person wasn't saved and now mm-hmm. we led them to Christ and they're not. I seriously view what I do every week as I have an opportunity to lead people to and back to God. Mm. So I think that, I think that that responsibility carries a lot of weight. And so, I I mean, part of my role, part of the position that I'm in, part of the decision making that I'm allowed to have, quite honestly, I'm, I'm pretty specific about who is allowed to be again on the stage and share anything. Um, I'm okay with, I'm okay with, Hey, I'm going to sit down and talk to this person because this, this God story is absolutely amazing and it has to be told and I will tell it for them. (laughs) But, but I'm pretty specific about who's, who's on stage. I I was just gonna say, it goes back to that whole platform, whatever, who you're putting on platform, you're giving them a platform. Yes. Even if they're the bass player, like you, you think, just I, I put I try to put yourself in the in the shoes of the people that aren't involved in church where it's they see that bass player out they represent your church they mm-hmm. represent like yeah. oh you're on stage like I've had that happen numerous times where I've been on stage at a church and I don't even go to that church I've just been stepping in and leading worship and they'll be like hey do you know when that retreat is I'm like no I don't I don't even go here. Like, what do you mean? Because they see you on stage, so they immediately assume that you are, and you shouldn't just make your decisions based on, well, this could happen, but that person is a representative then. So I just don't understand, and I have a hard time getting behind putting non-believers on stage to lead worship, to to do a concert, to do things. What What about new believer? I think that's, and that's what I... For me, there was a list of things. So if you profess the Christ, judgment call in, in a yeah, way it was, was, and there was sometimes where it was, I mean, somebody that was really talented or or whatever, and it's just a discipleship thing. So I mean, because some, I mean, new believers are some of the most passionate people you have, but that always is like, you you want to, for me, I always want to set them free because they're like, they're like a brand new sharpened sword. And some of your older believers are like rickety, bent out of shape. They're still a sword, but they've been scarred and marred and they need help. But this person is so passionate. We have a tendency in the modern church to be like, hey, hey, buddy, slow down. Like we almost temper that. We take it away when they just need knowledge and discipleship. I mean, you look, I mean, the, the, the example in scripture, I think, is Peter. He's like, I will go and do this. And yeah, he was Jesus fired is like, right Come away. On, just chill out. But he also walked on water. Like, you know what I mean? Like, his faith made him walk on water with Jesus. And we take that away like, oh, but he was kind of like a hothead. Like, yeah, but he walked on water because he had the faith to do it. He didn't see anybody else stepping out and doing it. Like, so I, I would say new believers who are like, man, I want to play on the worship team. Okay, let's go through some discipleship, see where they are. And it, I would say, yeah, it's always I, a judgment call. And back to back to our role and our connection with God. I mean, that's where that's where discernment comes into play. There are times when... when in my selfishness, I'm like, absolutely not. There's no way I'd ever put this person on the stage to give them a platform. But then through discernment, the Lord and the Holy Spirit is like, no, they're ready for this part. They're ready for this section. Yeah, They're ready for this little thing. Um, and then you, you said something earlier about being on the stage, giving people a platform. I think it's good to, I think it's good to a point where the pew trusts the pulpit to go through the process of quote validating the people mm. that we are putting in front of them yeah, and, yeah yeah and again that's a part of that responsibility because they've given us a platform they we've built trust with them they a lot of times you, you've heard this people say well you know if pastor cedric says that that person's legit then i think then that person's legit you know like we've yeah that's part of the responsibility and i think there's been times where pastors have not made great decisions we have not made great decisions and and that has cost us and hurt us because of for for whatever reason but but yeah that's stewardship of the stage is it's a responsibility that i think that we miss it on and i think there's some things that that cause that you know like in the modern world i mean it's again going back to that spotlight mentality the stage is a glamorous place and sometimes we have we've elevated it to a place where it shouldn't be so mm-hmm. everybody wants to get there i mean there's, there's been a couple of times where i've had interns 
say, when am I going to get to preach? When am I going to get to preach? When am I going to get to preach? And I was like, what are you talking about? I let you preach yesterday. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, you led a Bible study with three people at Starbucks. And they're like, that wasn't preaching. And if they say that, that's a red flag to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, I kind of know where you are now. <laughs> uh, likewise, I, it's, it's funny how you, I mean, it's the same, almost the same exact thing. Almost always the person that comes in real hot. I'm not talking about a new believer. I'm saying somebody that's like, hey, I love worship. Uh, I, love, I, I can do this. I've done it numerous times. I've, and like they flex their resume. Almost always doesn't survive in, in, in a church that I have been in because they step in and they realize it's not about them and they'll find another church where they can be on stage, the glamour, like, oh, and that's a, it's a hard thing. And we, we talked about this we, just when we were hanging out uh, in the car where, where, where uh, there's no other thing, and you correct me if I'm wrong, there's no other thing in music where it's not, it's like worship. So worship music is completely and utterly all about God. It's supposed to direct people to God. Any other time you see music being played, it's about the performer. It's about this person on stage. It's about the guitarist, it's about the pianist, about the orchestra, about the choir, about the whatever. They, it's a posted, it's a performance. So when you have somebody that steps onto the stage that's used to that, and they have no concept of what worship is, if we're going back to what we're talking about, non-believers, how are they going to take that? They're, they're going to think, these people singing along with me, man, I'm part of this. They're almost stealing worship from the all, the one that is, is deserving of it, the whole reason what we're here for. So I think that has to be addressed. It has to be talked about. But I can see the exact same thing when somebody comes in and it's like, hey, when do I, when do I preach? But it's, hey, when, when can I get on stage? It's always that. When can I get on stage? Or, and, and typically in those situations, see, when somebody comes in and be like, yeah, I play guitar if you if you need somebody or if I sing. I don't know if I'm good enough to be on their stage. I'll be like, come to practice. And it typically works in. I'll say that to the person like, okay, we'll come to practice a few times. And if they don't get on stage after like two practices, they ain't coming back. Yeah, they don't show up. Because they want to be on stage. And it's like, that's the exact wrong attitude for this whole purpose. So I want to actually uh, maybe give you both a word uh, on this subject from my perspective and from, um, you know, where I sit every day. Um Honestly, with the idea of the sanctity and the stewardship of the pulpit, I want to say this, and it may sound a little aggressive, but I can do everything that you can do besides the stage. I can disciple. I can, I can, I can nail a Phil Wickham song on my way to work with nobody around. <laughs> I can hit the worship bone in my heart. I can sing with my kids. I can disciple my friends. I can read my Bible. I do do that. I'm not going to say I don't. But a lot of the job, and this is why I talk about the reverence of the stage and the pulpit, whatever we want to talk about, whether it's uh, three foot by three foot or you're walking onto, you know, a, a, a 200 foot stage with 20 instruments on it. The difference for me, on my perspective, is in the calling of full-time ministry is that that extra 50 feet that you two walk is a 50 foot that I can't walk. And I wasn't called to walk there. And so when I view the reverence of and the stewardship of the stage, I hold it in the highest regard because, you know, being Christ in my family, being Christ in my community, being Christ in my, in my job, um, being interested in the people around me, um, hope, hopefully, you know, discipling them, um, and, and loving them and praying for them, the volume that I do is not near what you all do. But the the act of it is the same, in my opinion. And you guys can disagree with me. The difference for me is the last 50 feet that I don't have access to and I shouldn't have access to because I'm not called. And so when I see that, I have always had just the highest regard in a very personally a very uh, narrow view of who should be up there because of the fact that I know and I live with you all, you, uh, Cedric, when I say you, Cody, Josh, Matt, and I saw the, the, I saw the burden 
for ministry. I saw the desire for growth in ministry. I saw the educational toll that it took. I saw the things that you gave up and continue to give up that in your flesh would be uh, awesome to do and have and be. And so when I see all of the toll that ministry takes just to be in that calling, for me, I'm like the worst about it. Like, I don't feel like any, like if you, if you aren't like, if you're not like with Cody, what you have, if you don't follow that list, like goodbye. You know, I think sometimes I struggle with people who go through a storm and we get them right on stage. Like you said, a story that's great. And that is a vulnerable time for them to be brought on stage. Are we doing them disservice for the disservice of maybe a story that could encourage people? That's a, that's a tough um, decision for you to make as a pastor, who to bring on stage, who to illustrate. How do you do that? Because to me, that stage, that pulpit, whatever, is so... It's, it's sanctified to me. It's set apart. It is for those who are called. And it's not that you can't, you have to be a scholar to be a worship leader, but I feel like that on the side of worship, for sure, like one of your main jobs that nobody talks about is the health, the growth, the discipleship of your team, not just like, man, that guy really has turned the corner as a bass player and he actually, now I can turn his, I can turn his knobs up so people can hear him now. We're not just having him pantomime the bass. But to be like, you know, what, you know, Craig started with our group and he was, you know, newly Christian, but he took the steps. And now, like you said, he got a job in South Carolina and he's working in that worship group and he is a leader in that worship group. Like that should be the goal. The, the most exciting thing of being a worship leader, like that's what you put on your resume is like how did you disciple that group and so that's some, for me like I, i'm the like i said i'm the i'm the maybe the most stalwart of all of you with the stage because i know with the reverence growing up as a somewhat preacher kid but like having my friends parents be preachers and understanding the 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 level of stress and just the grind that it is to be in full-time ministry like it's a place that's 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 a calling that's an earned spot and you know I, i'm very i don't know how to say it the right way but i'm very uh i'm very miser like in who i feel should be able to access that area of our church well i mean from from our preaching teaching pastoral perspective i mean you may not have realized it but nestled into what you're saying is directly out of scripture. You know, I'm gonna use your I'm gonna use your words, you know, that the, the that last fifty feet, if you will. And it's a little different from a worship, pure worship leader, worship pastor perspective, but the pastor part is not a whole lot different. And it's it's right out of First Timothy and it's specific qualifications that overseers and elders and pastors and bishops have. And that last fifty feet that you're talking about, it says that. It says that they should be able to teach and that's what that is that 50 feet that you're talking about you know obviously it takes place on a stage in the modern church but it's that ability to teach and it's interesting in the first part of first timothy 3 there's qualifications the this is what's required for overseers pastors elders bishops and then the second part is for deacons and and the one thing that's different is the requirement for the ability to teach um, so, and, you know, we talk about new believers, verse six says, he must not be a recent convert mm -hmm. or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Like, so we, like, so some of the things you're just saying is out of scripture itself, that last 50 feet, the 50 feet that we walk or that I walk is that calling the, and that ability to teach, uh, and that's the difference. And, and, you know, and it mentions other things, being sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, you know, not, not a wild man, but it says, <laughs> but it says ability to teach. And I think that's, that's what you're referencing. And I, and if there's one thing to use someone who the Lord did a great work in for a moment, and there's a, something entirely different 
to vault them into overseer and leader status. And mm-hmm. that's the difference. That's why it says they must not be a recent convert. So it doesn't say don't use the the goodness of God in this person's life for this moment to illuminate the hearts of the people to who God is. But it does say if this person's going to be an overseer, an elder, a leader, a, uh, a pastor, a bishop, this is what they're required to do. And that able to teach, that's the 50 feet. And what I'll say, too, is as an encouragement on the other side of things is, you know, for, for you, Senator, for Cody, for anybody that's listening that is uh, called into ministry full time, like understand that that last 50 feet and we're going to just continue on with that illustration. Like that is where I encourage everybody to take a lot of pride and solace when you come against people who are. You know, I don't like what you preached about. I don't know what, I don't like this subject. Or this is too deep. Or this is too shallow. Or this is too left or too right. Like you got to, having the understanding that the last 50 feet is something that those people, you know, there's like, like Cedric said earlier, you know, there's been times on staff where he's had, you know, godly trimming, you know, like trimming his hedges back a little bit from people on staff. And that's great. But when somebody in your congregation comes at you, and it's and it's it's coming at you, having the the internal like fortitude to re- recognize that they'll never walk that last fifty feet. They may think they could, they may think they can preach a better message, or or they may think they could run a better church, or may think they may have better I- ideas than you. But the fact that matters, they're not called there, and they don't know all of the steps that went into that message, and so realizing your last 50 feet is what does sanctify you and your calling and just call on that when you're feeling down and be like you know what that person may have good intentions but they don't know there's an ignorance there that sometimes is hurtful and sometimes is ignorance out of just plain not knowing but knowing that what you have as a pastor is unique um and as a worship leader, as a called full-time minister, man, like that last 50 feet is where you should feel so safe and understanding that you have that, you have that calling that's been resting on you is what allows you to do what you do. And so I, I just, like, to me, like, I, I hold such a high reverence on full-time staff, um, people called in the ministry full-time, and I know somebody's going to maybe say, like, we're all called full-time, don't be corny, you know what I mean. Like, I was in the kids' ministry this morning, so don't call me out. Like, it's that difference there and, 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 like, imploring people to understand, like, when a pastor is on a sermon series that's not hitting you between the eyes, like, that doesn't mean, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't mean that it there's something wrong. Or that doesn't mean that, or if there's a, if, if they you disagree with an illustration, like, you know, and brotherly love, talk about it and bring it, you know, bring it up if you need to, but understand that the... The, the time in that last 50 feet that that reverence and that calling is it, it, it is a heavy thing and, and they take it very seriously what's the if there has to be a view change from the pew from the people about the position of worship leader worship pastor a person that is leading us to a place to worship God what's the if there was a view change what would you say that view change is what does it have to be what would you encourage people what lens would you encourage people to start looking through yeah when they look at the position of worship pastor i'm gonna change your question a little bit i think and then i'm gonna answer it a different way uh i think over over arching you know we have we've gone we've gone through the worship wars and they're they'll continue for the rest of time i'm sure but i think if if people stopped looking at worship as preference-based people would worship more. So that goes both ways. I think if we encouraged our people to say, you know what, worship to this hymn because it's good. Or, hey, worship to this passion song because it's good. And I think that if that there's pressure then on the worship pastor to vet those songs and not just pick songs that are like, oh, this is epic, so let's do it. But to make sure uh, make sure they, they meet, they, they meet a, a qualifications that you put out there um, but I would encourage that. I, I think I think it's a lot easier. And I'm saying this because I get this feedback all the time. And I always have. And I always will as a worship pastor. Like, 
hey, can we have this type of song? Hey, we need this. And I think there's times as a preaching pastor that happens like, hey, I would love to have a sermon series on family. Like that might happen. But what if what if we based everything preaching wise on what the people wanted? Like, hey, we want this and not the the pastor or the pastor staff or the ministry staff praying through like, hey, what are we going to do in 2020? And that seems to go away when it comes to music. I've known, and I know I'm biased because I'm a musician. I'm a, I'm a worship pastor. But it seems to go away like, well, the people really want more hymns. So we probably should do more hymns. And it's like, well, then hire somebody that does hymns. Like that's, I mean, it sounds so, but I feel like it's an overarching. There's some people too, like, well, we want more modern music. Hey, let's do two services. Like that's, that has split churches. It's a big deal. But if we told our people like, hey, we're going to do what we feel called to. And sometimes that's him. Sometimes it's bluegrass. Sometimes it's this. Sometimes it's that. It, just follow us because worship isn't preference based. Worship is all about him. So even if you're coming in and saying, man, they're playing that song. I really don't like that much. I do like God though. So I think I'm going to worship him. Like, I mean, it's just... And I, I know it's, that's an easy statement. It's an easier thing to say. But it's just making that commitment. And that's, that's what I would ask any congregation. To be, I guess, to be open-minded to the, to the music. And not just be like, oh, there's no organ on stage, so I can't worship today because I'm 75. Well, you know, a, a couple things you said that were really illuminating to me was like the, condition, the conditionality of worship. Like, I'll sing if I like it. Mm. I'll sing if it's... I'll sing if it's this. And like, and I'll tell you, like, from my perspective, and just to put an arrow in my chest, like, I am the, I got the worst voice you ever heard. I'm very self-conscious about it. I am one of those guys that, like, used to say, like, I mean, I'm singing on the inside, y'all. Like, it's, <laughs> it's like, when, when I'm in my car, I'm singing, but I don't want to, like, blow the ears of the people in front of me, so I'm just like, you know, got my hand over my mouth. And actually, a couple months ago, um, it was either, it was in your class, we talked about, like, worship. Actually, no, it was Pastor Zach. We just talked about, it's like, worship isn't a negotiation. Like, you should worship. It's, worship is, you not worshiping is you denying God his praise. Yeah. And that crushed <laughs> me because it's like, man, I had a pretty good excuse. Like, I was praying, I was singing on the inside. <laughs> like, you kind of just destroyed that. Now I got to sing. And I feel like, and it's still for me sometimes a struggle to just, and, and I happen to have a wife who could be a recording artist. She's a music savant, can sing, and and she looks at me because she can't sing off key, and then she'll be like, ooh, hey, get back, you know, listen to me and come back where I'm at. And I'm like, I'm try- I don't know where I'm at. I'm just, <laughs> whatever. And so, um, like, with the conditionality of worship of, like, I like it or I don't like it, you know, and you said one thing, like, I talked about, like, you know, I, I don't like worship because it's a har- there's no harp or there's no organ. But also, when you're connecting with the leadership of a church, like, what would it look like if a pastor said to you, what I want the worship to look like in the next six months is I want to focus on songs that connect with the sermon. So I'm going to be talking, like, we're going to talk over six months on different topics, but the whole overarching theme is our destitute nature in regards to our ability to to fix things and God's grace that and mercy that overarchingly brings us to where we are today and gives us access to heaven. And then you can be like, all right, now I can either, from a creative standpoint, maybe write a song mm-hmm. or I have now a direction on what I want to do as far as themes, songs. To, to me, that's, that's the left hand talking to the right hand. Yeah. And if, you know, me being from the business side of things, like that is sales talking to marketing. Mm-hmm. Like that's making sure that like if you're out there as the, let's say the pastor is the salesman and the pastor is talking about this and then the marketing that's going out to the public in their email inbox, mm-hmm. it's completely different. You're saying go big and the marketing is saying and think small. Yeah. There's a confusion of the flock and who you're marketing yeah. to and, how, and the success is going to be less. And so... Is that like, I guess I'm, I'm saying this is a good idea instead of asking it, but like, how does that look? Oh in- man, that is a perfect, that's a perfect marriage. That's great. The problem is, and it, I'm not speaking ill of 
of any church I've been in or whatever. But what feels like it happens is you get behind the you get behind the ball, and it's not like oh we're not planning out we're we're going maybe week by week or two weeks at best, so you don't get those opportunities, and it's based on. Maybe we haven't sung a hymn lately, so we need to throw a hymn in, which throws off. Or maybe we we haven't. It should, it goes both ways. We haven't played a moder- We haven't played an elevation song, so we need to throw an elevation song in. You know, whatever it is, it can be a tug of war, and then it's like that steals. Like for me, I think I'm a hybrid worship leader where I'm creative and I'm a musician, but I'm not married to my set list. Like I'm not. A lot of times that people, creative worship leaders will come in and that's what they make. Like, here it is. Here's my, and it's like their art. Mm-hmm. And so when a pastor be like, no, we need to change that. They're almost like, oh, crushed. Yeah, they're defeated. They're, oh, I, I crafted this. I have, I don't know what it is about me. I've never had that. I'm like, okay, I don't care. I'm not married to it. But when you don't take the time to prep that and it's just there, it just seems like, okay, well then now I'm just picking songs. The whole purpose behind this is that, so that forcing something in there that doesn't fit doesn't feel right. But that all being said, the senior pastor, the lead pastor, whatever you call him, is literally the worship leader. He sets the stage for everything. So his, my vision has to be in line with the lead pastor. If I if it continually does not add up and I start flexing, it's it's time to move on. Somebody like there's probably a young worship leader thinking that right now, thinking I know, I know so much about worship, and my pastor does not really like it. Blah blah. blah. You need to either submit to him, or you need to start honing up your your resume because it's going to be a bad situation because you're not the one casting vision. Even if you think you know everything about worship, you think you know the flow of the song, and you might, you might be the best worship leader in the world. It ain't your church. So I think it's like, to me. It's from the outside in, like seeing you as a 22, 23 year old worship leader, remember the conversations we had, really similar to what you just warned against the idea that this is my, you hired me. This is my department. Like, I grew up in a Baptist church, so we had the kids' department, we got the worship department, we got the old people department, we got the baby department. And everybody gets to be ahead of a department. Mm. And if somebody from the old people comes to the babies and says, you should... Senior adults. Old peoples. (laughs) Uh, Somebody from the elderly... Golden Agers. Golden Agers, the, you know, the the rascals group, whatever you want to call them. If you came down to the kids department and was like, man, I don't think you should be selling, you know, serving those animal crackers. They'd be like, get out of my face. This is my area. And there was all of this, like really compartmentalization of, of ministries and then it builds like you said you're an island or you're a silo and even though you're on the same property it's like well I'm doing my worship thing I'm doing my preaching thing and sometimes when it's really great and they cross paths on the same Sunday like we crush it but I'm not going to give in my side to be under your leadership and you see that so often it's like man I'm singing we've had i we jokingly when we were in college it made me think we actually took like a semester and we were like all right we grew up in baptist church in ohio uh, are you guys baptist in bahamas yeah, bah- bahamas baptist <laughs> some little multicultural baptist we'll southern, call it urban southern baptist. yeah um yeah deep south baptist <laughs> in the bahamas but then we were like you know i've never been to this kind of church i've never been to a lutheran or a presbyterian we went to celtic services we went to christian science services <laughs> We went to, because we, we just wanted to experience, like, okay, what was, what does everybody else do? And a lot of times, I mean, my internal, like, view immediately was like, this ain't right. These guys are, this is a weird service. And, and but did it serve the the viewpoint of the leadership and, and God? Like, we weren't, we were too immature to have those conversations at that stage. I think we were just doing it for a goof a lot of the ways. We had a lot of fun. We made fun a lot of a lot of services, but it was very interesting to see like how different worship was from ultra charismatic, flag waving, jumping up and down, yeah. to we went to a Celtic service where people were legit in robes and like swinging those like smoke things up and down the aisles, 
and you felt like we were in, like going to get in, like indoctrinated into the skulls. <laughs> um, so we had a lot of different stuff. So skull and bones. It was just interesting to see that, and I think that's always helped me. But seeing you, Cody, in different places from church startup to a church that grew exponentially to then uh, an established church and seeing you've had a lot of just experience of people who, you know, new Christian, transient Christian, uh, we'll say upper, upper middle class Christian who like their lifestyle is built around them being like, I don't like that. And people saying, oh, well, what would you like it to be then, sir? And you having to learn how to speak truth into their life because if they're the executive in their company and says, I think everybody should wear ties, everybody's wearing ties the next day. And then they come to your church and they say, I want hymns. How do you have that conversation with that person? And how do you, how did that look at 23? And how does that look now at 36? Mm. Well, I, I mean, at 23, I definitely wouldn't handle it the same way as 26. Um, 36. 36. Shut up, Cedric. Trying to be twenty again, yeah. uh, but you know, it's a hard question because I think right away I I didn't have that issue at my first job because it was a college town. What I struggled with, what I struggled with there was literally like all the trappings of traditionalism. They wanted modern worship. They wanted, but they wanted like super dressed up on stage because they didn't. It was just this weird. There was just a huge age difference between me and the lead pastor, and I didn't understand. And we would talk about it. I still did it. I didn't want to, um, but so that was a little bit different. It didn't have to do with the music style. They still wanted very modern music, but just look different. Um, later on, uh, you know. Again, you have to default to the lead pastor. So when the lead pastor takes that that helm and it's it's kind of up to him how he goes about handling it. Um, and I can still disagree with it. I can still uh, say, I think that was a bad move. I think that was stupid. But as soon as the door closes, we all out we're all we're all on the same team. I'm I'm doing what he wants, and now that's something that is is always a is a is a gut check is an ego thing. It's a whatever. Uh, it, it just it's hard, and I think that's hard. It comes easier with maturity, but it's always hard. It, always hard being told this is what you can do or this is what you can't do, when you feel like you know what you should do. Does that make sense? Yeah, and so. That's always hard, and if you can't, that's what I've experienced. If you can't, like if it's making you bitter, first of all, check your heart. First of all, make sure that you're like, is that is that is that such a big deal? And if it is, if it still is, then you need to bail. You need to get out because you're only going to be a hindrance to that church. So, as we get ready to wrap this up, yeah, there was something you said that was brilliant for yes it was brilliant. before we started recording that i think it's important for you to share um and it was your call like yeah i don't know if you use the word qualifications but like this is what ha- this is what a worship song has to have mm-hmm. before yeah. you and your team make the decision to sing it and just share that real quick and to I, be to be fair and honest it was never a team it was never a team i I shouldered that. Okay, so this is you. So this you. is me because I would get. This is this. I mean, I don't care if there's anybody listening from any worship team I had in the past. I got terrible song suggestions all the time from anybody, and what was great was when I had a list like, oh, doesn't fit that one. Like that sucks. We're not doing that one. So you've never done anything off of Jesus is King. Which is that? Is that? That's the new. That's the new Kanye. <laughs> Nothing. Uh no, okay. I don't really can't. All right, just, just clarify. Anyway. Uh, so number one, obviously is theologically correct. If it's not theologically correct, then don't do it. Like that's, I mean, why would you, um, before I got hired at my first church, they did calling on angels and that was like a big deal. Like they did that song and it's like, that's not even, first of all, it's not a Christian song. 
but it's not even remotely. Who did that? Do you song? call him? Who, who did that song? Uber it's like yeah, it's like a. It's, I don't even know who it is. I don't um, know. Who he's no. Train. Uber I think maybe yeah, train. It it's train. Like him that. in his tight jeans, belting that out. Uh, and like that's that's what I mean. Like when you're not like, oh, this is biblically themed and it's it's fun and it's on the radio. Let's do it. Um, and so and I'm and I'm speaking specifically of worship songs because there's sometimes where you know you're in a church situation and you're playing a zombie by the cranberries because it ties into your message. That's whatever. That's just dumb. But <laughs> that's my opinion. I'm talking about worship music specifically. So so theologically correct. Uh, the second thing is singability. So there's two different things. Like I mean, if if it's hard to sing. And, and we are in a trend right now that there's a lot of songs that are hard to sing. I agree. And so it's like, uh, you know, the guy's part is either really, really low or it's really, really high because that guy has the octave jump and can do it. Um, or it's like a weird, like, it's just, it's hard to sing. And that's where, that's where hems have a leg up on a lot of merch music because it's dun, 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 dun. Da da dun dun. Just put that on there, recording right there. So it's easy. Everybody can jump in, even if you don't have any musical trainer or whatever. But a lot of these songs, they're hard. They're hard to sing. They're hard to sing for the worship leader. There's so a, there's a lot of math right now. I feel like a lot of songs are like ten thousand species with five hundred I mean, ways. Yeah, you're gonna talk about what's that song? Billy. Uh, ten thousand billion oceans. <laughs> I can't remember the name of that song. What's the name of the song? I know the one. Yeah. The there's, there's a couple. There's a couple. So songs. lie. So yeah. lie. So the thing about that song, I haven't played that song, not because I think it's theologically wrong, but because there's like, it's a book. Every verse and every chorus and every bridge is different. So you can't ever like, oh, I remember, I know these words. Like it's dip, it's difficult. It's a great song. It's a great song. Especially that one dude that sings it online. That is fantastic. Anyway, um, so singability, it's a huge one. And that's like a judgment call. It's not really, like there's not a science to it. It's just like, is this easy to pick up? I'll know if a song is a great song one or two times I hear it. I mean, to be honest, I, that's that's even over. I'm not, probably 30 seconds. And we touched on that too, using what you have. So, you know, it may not even be singable for the people that you yes, have. The sing- yeah, or even yeah. the congregation. And, that yes. and yeah, and if you can't play, well, first of all, if, if you can't, if a worship song can't be done on just an acoustic, it's not a good worship song. That's that's why, I mean, to talk on Chris, Chris Tomlin, I used to be so critical of Chris Thomas because it was like, this is so basic and whatever. The dude can can write music and he could put huge backing and he always did simplified stuff because he was writing for the church. That's what he said. So any church could play, you know, what Lord I Lift Shining Him High or How Great Is Our God. But you can also play How Great Is Our God with a 80-member choir and an orchestra and it's epic and huge. That's what he did. He just did bare bones, take this and use it. So we... I, I learned my lesson. He's 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 a great writer, and so, then the and then so it's theological singability. What is that? Oh yeah, and directional. So for me, and this is this is opinion based, and and there's exceptions, but I like all all I like most of the worship on a Sunday morning sang to God. So, um, and this this when I said a lot of people suggested bad songs or songs in general, almost entirely this always crossed them out because it's they heard it on ccm they heard on christian contemporary radio they're like oh this song's great and it's always sung about the human condition of how man you're you did this to me this is how i feel and some of those songs are great they're great but when you're structuring a worship set and your your goal is to primarily worship God and elevate God and promote God and celebrate who he is, the less about yourself seems to go a long way. So when I say directional, I just mean sang to God. There's a lot of songs that are still about God, and there's sometimes where that works because then it's like the bridge is then like sang to him or, or whatever. Um, but the songs that I, I tend to lean towards those just because – you get together once a week to sing these songs. You get together with your congregation to sing worship songs to God. You can sing the songs about what God's doing in your car. You can use them for a special. You can put them in videos. There's a lot of ways to use those. But as I just feel like it's it's more meaningful. It's more worshipful in my mind to sit to sit on stage, stand on stage, and look at the congregation. They're all singing songs about who God is. 
whatever that quality is, whatever the thing that specifically, maybe he's the healer, maybe he's the deliverer, the mighty God, whatever, that is more powerful to me than singing about um, things that I feel about God. Is that, I mean, it's, and, and th those things, again, those things can be great songs and used creatively in a service. And that's why I said there's always a give and take. But if I'm doing three, if I'm doing four songs on the Sunday morning, three of those songs are directional. Easy. I know that. So as to also wrap up here, I want a couple quick fire questions at you. At Cody. Um, what is the one song that when somebody requests it you just shrink like what's the what's the one song you get the most Oof. that people are like you know what Cody I would love to hear your voice sing uh, um you know I think I got Shine Jesus Shine a lot yeah okay like, I, don't, I don't know what it is about that I don't know why I never sang that song um I'm trying to think. That's old. That's, that's an old, old school newsboys old. cut for you guys who are younger. No, 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 no. I don't even think it's newsboys. That's 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 like shine, man. I wonder why. Oh, I'm, I'm talking about shine, Jesus shine. Oh, I don't know that. I don't either. Um, I've, I shrink. There hasn't been many, and I would say it's it's hard. It's a lot. It's like when people ask for really anything that's on the radio that they're like, hey. Your voice would sound, and it's a compliment, like your voice would sound good on this, but it's like a performance C, and I don't, I'm just not, that's the thing, it's like, eh, thank you, but it doesn't really fit. So, Desert Island songs. So, give me your three worship songs, that if that's the only thing you could sing the rest of your life, what would your three worship songs be? Or maybe just songs in general. Oops, maybe well, they don't, tough. maybe they don't fit your... May, well, worshipy, but maybe directionally. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Songs that, okay. Uh, this is Amazing Grace. It is definitely one of them. Um, man, this is hard. I And then I, I mean, Living Hope is a Phil Wickham song. Phil and, Phil and uh, some other guy, I can't remember who it is right now. Um, man. So third, two, two, third in the, two in the chamber for Phil Wickham. Yeah, Jeremy Riddle, Phil Wickham, Phil Wickham, and Johnson. I can't remember his name. Brian Johnson? No, that's not right. Uh, man. Last one. I, 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 I would probably have to say, because I love, I love epic-y ones. I love straight scripture ones. So maybe Re Relevation song. Revelation. Yeah, what did I say? Re Relevation. That was weird. Yeah, Revelation yeah. song. Oh, Revelation. Yeah. Okay. Probably Carrie Job. Yeah. Which I can't even sing well, but I love the I just I love when it's yeah. straight scripture. So yeah, probably those. Living Hope is literally the about the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then This Amazing Grace is about is a salvation song. So I think that wraps it up so right there. Your three desert island songs. Yeah. Uh, what is is there one song that you used to love as a younger artist? worship leader and now the idea of picking that back up and singing it as is just makes you embarrassed how, how young just anytime anytime dude that uh sanctuary song was huge back in the day oh yeah Lord, that was that was the that was the one so me in the stands me in this i'm out in the crowd cody's bringing the heat on sanctuary <laughs> and why i like that song was a youth group that was when I could get my arm around yeah, a couple of chicks. I'd be like, get that, get my slow sway get going. Sway <laughs> I was, I was, I was being a, a very, you know, this was, you know, I know we're in definitely the Me Too era. This was, I asked the, I asked her if I could put my arm around her. It was in a safe location, but it was, it was the best that I could do at 15 years old. So when Cody would bring Sanctuary, Casual Christian would bring it up, and uh, I don't know. There's about three or four songs when I knew I was going to oh, be able man. to flirt with some girls, and Cody helped me out there. So, oh, that so that probably that song. More recently, man, I don't know. I don't know. There's not a lot. There's, yeah. I mean, you know, you could look at <laughs> "Awesome God" is a great song, 
like it's a great song, but I just think about the the one line putting on the Ritz. Oh God, it's just funny. Yeah. He's rolling up his sleeves and putting on the Ritz. That's weird to yeah. me. So I can't imagine picking that song back up. But Last it was question. epic back in the day. Last question is "Sweet Home Take Me Jesus" a worship song? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> so if you don't know what "Sweet Home Take Me Jesus" was, maybe this is a West Hill thing, but uh, it was like a way to actually get an electric guitar on stage and do the "Sweet Home Alabama" riff from what is that? "Sweet Home Alabama." What's the Leonard Skinner? Leonard Skinner. And I'm telling you what, when we were like 16 years old, to our church congregation, we had like this second contemporary service that was just started. You, it was like the Beatles <laughs> to our church. When we played Sweet Home, Take Me Jesus. And, oh, and Pastor Travis, if you're listening to this here right now, you Holler. probably played it 7,000 times. Oh, we're going to send this episode to him. Uh, He's going to hear it. Holler. Yeah. It was, it was uh, Christian crack for our church. Christian crack. Um, what, and, and, a, and a harder thing, and we can wrap up too, but like, especially that generation, this is another topic, all, but like, at that time period, that was a lot of worship music. It was like, how do we sound secular, or how do we take even secular riffs and repurpose lyrics to be like this? This is a rocking song, but it's talk about Jesus. I remember when I was like growing up, my I, my parents were strict on my music choices, and I remember when the Boys to Men was was on Fresh Prince. I was like, Mom, but they're singing hymns on Fresh Prince. Like they're Christians. I can get that tape right, and I had to like I had to grovel. To be like, yeah, you know, they sing R&B, but, you know, they're really Christians. And I remember that time frame was like, if I could even get a glimpse of somebody being like, I like Jesus, I could try to weasel that into my playlist. And they would sing songs that, you know, or we, they would repurpose their hits to be Christianese. Hmm. How far we've come. How far we've come. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Are we gonna, is that what we're going to call this episode? How far we've come? <laughs> I think I like no cracks. No cracks. No, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of titles, possible titles that have come out yeah. of this conversation. All right, well, I think this has been a good conversation. Uh, we could obviously talk more about these things and other things, and we may do that. Um, but yeah, I think that's. I think we crushed it. That's a wrap. <laughs>